Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And this should this should be a quick one because yeah. um, uh, get in, for, get out. That's what yeah. I said. For various reasons, you and I haven't uh, haven't watched that much stuff. I've been watching a lot of um, like uh, stand up specials. <laughs> um, oh, that's okay. But um, but that's not. I don't, I don't consider those movies. Maybe I'll talk about those in the TV journal. Sure. Uh, for the Patreon, for the patrons, uh, whom we love more than our regular listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the way. That's the way it works. It's not clearly the Patreon. Uh, the patrons love us more. Yeah, yeah. We didn't decide than... on that. That's just the way it works. Yeah. We we love them more. Tit for tat. That's uh, how we do things <laughs> over here. Um. So I uh, caught up with a movie that you recently expressed surprise that I had never seen. Indeed. And that is uh, Christopher Guest's A Mighty Wind from 2003. Um, And as far as my reason for not seeing it, I think... um, I don't know. I... (laughs) Uh, you'd think I would have, it would have been like a fool me once type of situation. Cause when best in show came out, I was like, this is, this is not going to be as good as waiting for government. Sure. Um, partially, I mean, I was, was I 17, 18 when best in show came out? Uh, and, 18, I think. Cause that, that was 2000, but I don't, but my birthday's not till mid September. So there's a good chance I was probably still 17 depending sure. on when it came out. Um, that's like a game. A thing I always had to do in my head. It's like, Yes, the 2000, like this is the year that I turned blank. Um, I recently like could not in my head, I had, for that reason, I could not figure out how old I was when I got married. Because hmm. it's for two reasons. One, like my birthday is late enough in the year that I hadn't turned 32 yet when I got married. I was, so I was right. 31, I've now realized. But so I was like trying to figure out how old I was. And also there's the fact that... Um, my wife is a different age than I am. And I tend to think that I'm her age. Hmm. Just, I don't know if you do that. Like sometimes I have to remind myself, like I'm uh, right now I'm 37, but my wife is a year older than I am. And I constantly think that I'm 38. Uh, um, and I don't know why that is, but uh, yeah, I feel like when you're a kid, you know how old you are like to the month. Oh boy. And, that is yeah. totally true. At a certain point, it's just like, it stopped like i'm just sort of like i know i haven't turned 40 yet (laughs) that's kind of like all i all i know for sure um anyway uh Uh, quick story about that and uh so i'm one of the classes that i'm teaching uh is a dual enrollment class and so it's actually high school freshmen um getting college credit i didn't even know that was possible but uh anyway and so I had to revamp my uh, syllabus because uh, it was almost uh, it was almost completely R-rated films. But anyway, um, so when I was at, I didn't realize until we were talking. And I said, "How many are you? How many of you are freshmen?" And they all raised their hands. Like, are you guys all four? Are you guys all fourteen? And they all raised their hand. And then one guy said, "One one guy said he goes, I'm thirteen, but I'll be fourteen in two months." And I was <laughs> like, "That's the most thirteen thing you could say." And that's um, also exactly who I like. I was thirteen when I started. Yeah. Uh, when I started my freshman year of of college. Um. Anyway, um. 
So yeah, the reason I, I I didn't see many win. So the best in show came out, and I was like, I'm too big a waiting for Guppin fan. I'll see it, but you know, grain of salt. There's no way it's good. Plus, it's PG-13, which right. I, to me at that at that age, that's what I was getting at at that age. I was like, that's not going to be as funny as Waiting for Guppin. That's an R-rated movie. This one. This is one he made for the masses. Maybe make sure. maybe PG thirteen. And now I think I mean Whitney Houston's great, but I think Best in Show mm-hmm. is his best film. And so part of it was the skepticism of like, there's no way that it's going to be as good as Best in Show. Like again, I had the same skepticism. And also I think I I never really realized this until I said it out loud to my wife, who also couldn't believe I'd never seen it. That I think I had subconsciously assumed that the title was some kind mm-hmm. of fart joke. Oh, okay. Which turned me off. It's not. I, I've watched is, the whole movie. There's yeah. nothing like that in it. Um, and uh, the movie itself, uh, it's. Uh, I will say, I didn't get. Be- I didn't get the same experience as Best in Show. It's not better. Best in right. Show is still better than this. But uh, I loved it um, because it it. Fe- it it felt different than the previous two. And I still haven't seen for your consideration. Um, that, that one really drops off, honestly. Okay. Um, but the other two just seem like they're both very funny, but they're both sort of twists on like, here's one specific, you know, milieu for us to put a bunch of like uh, weirdos and losers in. Yeah. And it is. And that's, and so a mighty wind being the, the folk music uh, scene of the people who were still clinging to the folk music scene of the sixties does seem like that again, but it's also the most emotional uh, mm-hmm. of them. Um, I was not expecting that. Um, uh, it's a, it's a testament to the fact that often uh, you and I have talked about this. So we're blue in the face since the beginning of this podcast that like often the people who are funniest, are also the best all around actors. Yeah. Um, and the, what goes on between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara in this movie is so powerful, even though it's often subtle for at least by Christopher guest standards, it's, it's yeah. often kind of, kind of subtle. Um, I mean, Catherine O'Hara, O'Hara's character especially is, uh, clearly, um, uh, more subtle than her character invested show was. Yeah. Um, uh, but very emotional. The songs are very good. Uh, they are very good. And, and they're, they're very, song, very funny. Yeah. Their song, a kiss at the end of the rainbow was nominated for best song that year. Yeah. And at the Oscars, they performed it like in oh, I'm character. Sure I must have watched that. And it was, it was really wonderful. But the song with the, uh, the, the big family, that's also maybe kind of like a cult or whatever. <laughs> Some of their songs, especially when it's like Parker Posey and 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 Jane Lynch uh, uh, singing, it, those are hilarious, but also still super catchy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I felt like there was something else I was going to say. Oh, maybe my favorite moment, like my favorite super subtle moment in in that uh, I guess minor spoiler for A Mighty Wind when when Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara share a brief kiss not like a makeout but a brief kiss yeah. during a performance i love that Catherine o'hara's husband the easy joke would have been oh he's pissed off right. but he loves it <laughs> he's yeah. like so happy for them <laughs> i i i love that i love that moment um i love a lot of things about it i love i mean sometimes you do still get um 
you know, this is me speculating about what, uh, uh, but this is, these are largely improvised movies. I'm sure some of these things just happened out of, uh, um, out of rehearsals or or just, but, um, (laughs) Bob Belvin's micromanaging the, uh, like the set design of the thing is, uh, incredibly funny. And like, (laughs) uh, because often Bob Balaban's comic persona is of is sort of a straight man type of thing. He's clearly mm-hmm. very funny, but usually he's like the the smart one or the more reserved one who's sort of like reacting yeah. to the goofiness of you know be it the the uh, the the best show people or be it uh, Jerry and George uh, yeah. on uh, on Seinfeld. Uh, but to see him just be kind of a uh, this fastidious weirdo uh, yeah. was a reminder that he's uh, he's 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 very funny, and it takes a very funny person to be a straight man. Yeah, and just say it's like I see I see lights. I see just like just pointing things out. That's like he's he's literally asking the impossible at one point. Um, well, he's uh, he he's so confused about the fact that the the street lamp on stage is a real street lamp. Yeah, but the guitar is a two dimensional cutout that that creates the optical illusion of a guitar. And he's like, is it okay to have two different representations of like an actual object and a representation of an object on stage at the same time? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty great. It's not, uh, I, it's not best in show, but it's pretty great. I also like how the, the nature of the, uh, uh, again, it would have been the easy comedic and less funny comedic to, to say like, Oh, these like sunny, like proto hippie, like folk guys, really there's something, you know, they're, they're, uh, base and, 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 uh, greedy or whatever. Sure. A lot of it, they, they maintain the, the, uh, the sort of positive, the sort of feel good, crunchy yeah. positivity of it. And then every, every once in a while, something will come out when the folksman trio realize yeah. the cult or whatever are doing the song they were going to do. And Michael McKean is like, is like, we can't do the song. We've just seen it done as a toothpaste commercial. <laughs> or something I, do like, like that. I do like the folksman and just the way they interact with each other. And there's actually a moment that really, man, again, as you said, like all of these people are tremendously good actors. Uh, and there's a moment that I love where, um, where is it Mitch and Mickey? Is that the yeah, name of right. Okay. So they start playing their song and the the folksmen are in the in the green room and they're like, "Oh, this is that really pretty one." Like they're they're hearing it and and Michael McKean says, "This is the one with the kiss." And then he very knowingly says like, "Oh, I wonder how they're going to handle that." And the way that he drops his voice like it's just one line, but it has stayed with me and it just speaks volumes about like like everyone like in in a in a certain industry everybody knows everybody else's thing like everybody knows like the behind the scenes drama and like in that moment uh it shows that like oh these guys who often seem a little bit out of touch and certainly judgmental um are still are they're still plugged in to the community they know enough uh to know that like oh this could cause something to happen. And, uh, I just, it's just, I, I don't yeah. know. There's just something about Michael McKean's delivery that really, re- I really respond to. Well, I've been, uh, my wife and I have finally started watching better call Saul. I'm just only about halfway through mm. the first season. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I let it, let it surprise me, but Michael McKean's a really good actor. Yeah. Um, 
So what did you watch? Uh, okay, so I watched a couple of uh, documentaries. Um, the first one was directed by Seth. Uh, boy, I'm not going to, I'm not sure how you say the last name. Uh, Porges, I'm not sure. B, uh, P-O-R-G-E-S. Um, Porgs, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, and then Chris Charles Scott III. And it is called Class Action Park which is available okay. on HBO max. And so, and it's all about the, the uh, infamous uh, action park, a, a water park and other things in New Jersey that lasted from the seventies to the nineties. And uh, I had heard about it. Like a lot of people, you know, you just hear about it. You see images from, from, you know, Oh, this is an incredibly dangerous slide. I can't believe anybody actually built it. Uh, and so when I saw the, uh, when I saw the trailer, I was like, Oh, this is, this is very much the kind of thing that Jen and I would enjoy watching together. And, you know, in many ways it's, it's exactly what you, what you think it would be both as far as the content and also the style. There's a lot of archival footage. How could there not be? Cause mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not in business anymore. Uh, and then, broken up by uh, talking heads and, and that's fine. But, uh, but it is, it is funny and they do give you a really clear idea of, of what this park was about the guy who created it and his commitment to a very specific kind of fun that is not actually allowed. You know, it, he's, he's essentially mm -hmm. trying to, you know, you, you hear about, uh, oh, well, me and my friends, like, you know, we got a raft and we did like a float trip down the river or something like that. Or, you know, we went mountain biking or we just like uh, created a swing and would swing into the lake. You know, all of these things that people do organically. And he's he was trying to recreate that kind of thing in a theme park situation. But the problem is you can't actually do that like that. That allows the guests to control their experience way too much. Um and so people got hurt uh, a lot and a couple people actually got killed. And so that the, the, so much of the, of the film is incredulous and just looking at, at everything and being, and even the people that went there uh, were just couldn't believe in retrospect that this place existed mm -hmm. and was allowed to exist. Um, but then thankfully, and I think wisely, it does incorporate the idea. It's like, yeah, but if people died, that means that those people had loved ones who are not very, who don't have such a, such a nostalgic right. view of action park. They view it as a horrible place that should not have been allowed to remain open. And so it, so they, they focus in on one guy in particular who died in a, in a pretty rough way. And they talk to his brother and his mom and I appreciate. And so they shift the tone to that for a significant portion. And then they go back to sort of the park itself. But after that, everything takes on a slightly more melancholy tone, which I think is very smart. It would have been so focused. It would have been, it, it genuinely would have been easy to, to treat the fact that somebody that people died there to treat that as just like one more crazy thing about action mm -hmm. park. Uh, because when someone says like, Oh, someone died, you don't really, you can contextualize that however you want. And the, the, the viewer might not, might not think to, to dwell on that. And so I think it's smart of the, of the directors to have actively incorporated that so that you have a full understanding, like, yes, this, when someone's getting hurt and someone's getting killed, 
yeah, it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing and it shouldn't, and it, and it was totally avoidable as well. And so, um, it's definitely, it's, it's entertaining. It's interesting. They do a couple things where they sort of pontificate about, um, the time in which it was made the time in which it like flourished, which is the 1980s, you know, the Reagan era of like deregulation. Uh, but then also talking about the appeal of it. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, one, it's a little bit superficial in some ways, but uh, it was definitely worth watching and extremely watchable, and I'm glad that I did. Okay, uh, next up is uh, my, my only other movie to talk about today is also a documentary. Uh, comes out this this week. I just posted my review. Uh, it is Arthur Jones' Feels Good Man, which is a documentary about Pepe the Frog, or more specifically, oh, okay. or at least where it starts out more specifically being a documentary about Matt Fury, the uh impossibly uh unassuming soft-spoken lovable crunchy hippie type of cartoonist who created peppy the frog and uh had nothing to do with peppy the frog's uh um uh mutation into a literal symbol of hate i mean literally the anti-defamation yeah. league has peppy the frog on its list of hate symbolic yeah. of, of symbols of hate um so uh that's it it's it's kind of uh fascinating just to see um uh this this poor guy um but it's also i think the movie i i think it's overall it's it's worth watching especially if you're uh if you're lucky enough to not really know what 4chan is it's good to not don't learn about what 4chan is by going to 4chan stay away from 4chan this movie actually does a pretty good uh job of of uh of breaking down into into a uh a quick explainer sort of segment um what 4chan is what its history is and also what memes are which i know we all like know what memes are but like uh uh where the word came from and, and how they um are how they were made and how they are made and, and stuff. There's some, so there's some informative stuff to feels good, man. That's, um, uh, worth watching. Uh, but part of the experience of it, it becomes almost frustrating because, um, you feel bad. You feel terrible for Matt Fury, this guy, because he's he's like just such a nice guy. Yeah, like it, it seems almost like comedic how how much of like a nice, gentle man this is um, that this this terrible thing has essentially happened to. Um, but also, you become frustrated with how well. Um, as one of the people interviewed in the movie is a former uh, Donald Trump campaign strategist who says uh paraphrasing but says that matt fury understands the internet uh understands the internet about as well as hillary clinton does um and it, and to so feels good man in a larger sense is like an argument of like look this is how campaigning happens now this is yeah. this is a part of the political biosphere now and being someone like matt fury who's so offline who's so not interested in that thing um at a certain point that might go from a character quirk to being like you're failing to participate in society. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's it. That's a shame. Cause I've, I often wish I were more offline. Um, uh, but we kind of have to, we can't say uh, like, 
oh, these, those weirdos over there, you know, the quote unquote, like mom's basement type of, uh, yeah. uh, guess which they, they are. And often proudly, uh, as you see in the, in the movie, often proudly embodied that stereotype. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, the movies, some, I think it has a lot of artwork by Matt Fury and others, including, including, uh, Lisa Hanawalt. Uh, if you, if you don't know Lisa Hanawalt, she's, um, she's responsible for like the world of Bojack Horseman. Oh, okay. you know, like, so like, uh, Bob Raphael Wexberg is the creator of Bojack Horseman, like, uh, oversaw the writing and the characters and stuff, but like how the world looks and how the animals look and all of that, uh, is, is Lisa Hanawalt. And she also, uh, co-created Tuca and Birdie with the, the short lived, uh, animated series. Um, uh, so yeah, she's interviewed in it and, and you get a lot of artwork. So the movie's often very like, nice to look at but it's also at the same time often very uh upsetting i'm not sure it's entirely successful at balancing its different uh tones i think by the end it just kind of kind of becomes a boilerplate issue advocacy doc even if it's an issue you know anti-alt-right anti-white supremacy is an issue that i'm on board with but it it sort of loses some of its personality as it goes on i think um so yeah not an entire not entirely successful but uh, a pretty fascinating story yeah, uh, that is that phrase is exactly how I would um, how I would describe this this next film, which is a, a Netflix documentary. It's it's actually only forty minutes long, and I do wonder if it couldn't stand to be longer. Although, at the same time, I really respect that the director was willing to let it be shorter. Uh-huh. Um, and it's called the Speed Cubers. Jen and I were definitely in a. Uh, in a uh, what you and I call it, what is a special uh, special human interest, interest human, human interest, interest document? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we definitely were on that kind of kick. Um, special interests are the people who pull the spr- the, the the strings exactly. of our uh, exactly our elected officials. Right. Yes. Yes. And uh, the kind of documentaries they make aren't aren't super interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, they're a little one-sided actually, but, uh, but yeah, so it's directed by Sue Kim and it is about the, it's not really about the world of competitive Rubik's cube solving. Um, it, it certainly takes place in that world, but it focuses particularly on the relationship between the two like top uh, cubers. I don't, I don't, know if they actually call them that or if that's just the <laughs> if that's just the title but um so there's max park and felix zemdegs and uh felix is australian he's in his 20s and i mean it's you you see any anybody you know i i can't solve a rubik's cube in years like it would take me i would i would absolutely just give up in fact i have done it many times um and the idea that these people they have memorized, they can just like look at the the layout and immediately know what needs to happen because they've memorized like up to like 150, 200, like little sort of little algorithms about like turning right, turning left, up, down, whatever. And it's just fascinating. And I would have liked a little bit more explanation of that, but honestly, I feel like you could, to do so would be sort of to get into the weeds. But anyway, so they can do a standard Rubik's cube in, in the area of six seconds it's it's insane 
and you look at their hands and you're like, this is, this is, this is almost a special effect. Um, so I really, you certainly have a great deal of, of, of admiration for their ability to do this. And you know, the, the difference between like first and second place could be 0.01 seconds, you know, like that's, it's insane anyway. Mm. Uh, but Felix is, is like sort of has for a long time been like the reigning world champion, but then Max Park, who's I think at this point still a teenager, um, he, uh, and he's from California. Felix is from Australia and Max Park, uh, is he's, he's autistic. And so we hear a lot about, we, we hear a lot from his parents, but he himself is never, never actually interviewed. We see him on, on camera, uh, you know, and, but he's never really interviewed. And I do, on one hand, I feel like that's, I, I wish that, we could get him talking directly to us or directly to the director. But I also understand maybe given his autism, maybe why he's reluctant to do that. Maybe why his parents are reluctant to put him in that position. Um, but the, the story here is the relationship that these two guys have. Like Felix absolutely sees what Max is able to do and knows like, all right, my records are, uh, are going to be gone soon. And sure enough, Max just like uh, breaks Felix's records right and left. But, Max also like idolizes Felix. And so the two of them, because of these mm. various competitions, they become very close friends. And then Felix, rather than feel threatened, certainly he feels discouraged as just in general, as he's like not as good as he used to be. Cause as you get older and you have more life stuff to do, you can't really do this. It's sort of a, a young man's game. Uh, but he becomes very, uh, very protective of Max in a lot of ways. And so it's about mm. their, their relationship, which I do appreciate. I feel like there is a longer documentary in here that could really immerse you in this world. And within that, you can still tell their story. And I think that would be very interesting, but, um, but it's, it's, it's certainly, um, it's certainly watchable, certainly, um, entertaining there are some nice emotional uh beats in there and so it's it's available on netflix i'd recommend it. it's not going to take up too much of your time but there might be a, there there probably will be moments where you wish there was more and there isn't so that's that's my my issue there so you say that max beats felix's records plural what other than just like fastest rubik's cube solving what are the other records that there are to break Oh my gosh. So you and I are familiar with the standard three by three uh, grid of a Rubik's cube. It goes up to seven, like seven by seven. Oh, wow. Right? So it goes like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, blindfolded. Okay. One handed. Uh, it's, it's insane. I understand. So blindfolded, they get to look at it first. Yes. That's, uh, they that's get, awesome. I love they to see get that. About, they get about, I don't know, five seconds to look at it, and then blindfolded, they have to, uh, they have to do it. I love it. It's, um, it's pretty crazy. All right. So, uh, Class Action Park and Max Park. In, the two uh, parks, indeed, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, of, of Tyler's BP Movie Journal.